Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. What's on the mind of Tom Bevan, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics? On Donald Trump, has he cut his foot off, finally destroyed himself with that ridiculous tweet? And what's going on at Francis W. Parker School and Project Veritas and the controversy there around, pardon me, butt plugs? We're going to have Tom Bevan, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics, as our guest on the Chicago Way. And Jeff Carlin is here, as always, co-host, WGN producer, executive producer, future physics teacher. If you need to make a crust, bake a crust. He's the man to call. And I'm John Cass, editor-in-chief of your most favorite website, so our second favorite website, depending on where Bevan is on this, to johncastnews.com. And we're beginning an advertising push. So I hope it I hope it works out. And where are you with the lack of clergy on the steps of Francis W. Parker Elite School? And Donald Trump saying that we should get rid of the Constitution because it gets in the way of his politics or political ambitions. You're on the Chicago Way podcast on WGN+. Look, the, the Chicago Way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago Way. The Chicago Way. That's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand. With pen and paper in his hand, defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river, Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And our guest is the great Tom Bevan of Real Clear Politics, co-founder and president of your second favorite or first favorite website, <laughs> um, because they they put everything out there from the left and the right, just like uh, Twitter promises to be and just like newspapers used to be. Wow. Welcome to the Chicago Way, Tom Bevan. Always great to be with you, boys. Great to have you, Tom. How's the uh, the poll accountability project going? I, I keep seeing headlines about it. Yeah, we it, wanted to wait till the till the runoff was finished, mm-hmm. um, and so we're putting the finishing touches on it. We'll release it uh, probably next week. I think cool. it's already gotten to, it's already Thursday, so I think we'll. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's it's. I can tell you, you know, looking at the numbers, I mean, it's pretty much what what uh people thought i mean uh trafalgar did not have a great cycle mm-hmm. um you know it had some some big misses in in some of these states where 
particularly in the blue states where he, you know, Lee Zeldin, he thought was ahead um, or not ahead, but, but close, uh, you know, Patty Murray out in Washington, uh, Colorado and Michigan were sort of the big misses um, insider advantage, not a great cycle for them. And meanwhile, I think the most accurate pollster of the cycle was CNN and wow. Fox news was good. Uh, Marist, New York times, Siena all had pretty good cycle survey. USA, I think was up there. So um, again, we'll, we'll see, you know, what the report card shows. Um, sure. And, uh, and then we're going to also obviously include that as part of their overall performance for the last few cycles, because you can't just look at this and say, well, I mean, obviously inside or Trafalgar had a bad cycle this time. They had a couple of misses in 2018, but in 2016 and 2020, they were, they were among the most accurate. So it's a, it's a, you know, they get, they're going to get rated for their performance in this cycle, but also over the last four or five cycles. That'll be, that. that's interesting. Cause that's the stuff that I think most people, well, I, I don't think in real time people, probably don't process it quick enough, but like looking back and be like, well, I voted this way. And what was, how was I influenced? And, and thinking about that will, will even be more powerful. I think for people if they're looking at polls in the future. So that's really interesting. Yeah. I've, I'm thinking of Tom Bevan in his office, like behind a, a huge desk in the, <laughs> in the, uh, you know, in some building, you know, some downtown building and everyone's on the phone. His secretary keeps r- r- rushing in, saying, now we've got this guy on the phone and that guy. All these pollsters calling, saying, hey, Tom, trying to mitigate, trying to mitigate uh, the report that's coming out. Are you getting any pressure <laughs> not, from your Not friends? quite like that. Really? Not- no, I mean. Uh, <laughs> Come on. It's got to be. They, they call executive yeah, assistants I mean, nowadays. Look, the numbers are the numbers. I mean, what 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 can mitigate? you know, the actual reality of the, of the numbers. I mean, mm. it's not, it's, it's not a, something you can really fudge on, right? Context. Nor, nor, context. Well, I mean, there, what context is there? I mean, the, the criteria, obviously, look, one of the things that, and, you know, we, we, the, one of the criteria that we put on this is there, there's a cutoff date, right? We're not judging pollsters on the accuracy of polls that were released a month or two months or three months before the election. I mean, that sure. just is not, that's not serious. Now, however, I mean, that's part of, I think one of the problems is that you get these pollsters and some polls that, that will come out a month before the election or six weeks before the election and, and show, you know, some crazy number that drives a a narrative about a race that, that, you know, someone's Mm. up or someone's down or whatever. And, and that's, I think a bit of a problem as well, even if that polling operation, you know, their next poll, subsequent poll or, or, two polls later, you know, sort of come in line with, with uh, where the race actually is or, or they show different results. Um, so that's something that, you know, we don't really get a chance to, to, to touch on, um, but it certainly is an issue that, that we see out there, which is, you know, these polls, they drive media coverage, they drive narratives. And, and uh, some of the polls that do that, unfortunately, are not accurate. Um, but again, you know, the pollster can respond, well, it's, you know, it was, it was two months before the election and that's where the yeah, race is. Right. This is just a snapshot in time, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's a tricky proposition. I happen to think that uh, it's a brilliant, brilliant uh, design on your part and on real clear politics part, because the polls are integral to real clear and you are calling them to account the pollsters to account. 
And I just think that in the interest of transparency, uh, very interesting and very, uh, my hat's off to you. I do tip the hat. Thank you. Indeed. I I second that. Yeah, that's a great thing. I mean, I think the more people know and and can understand what they're being told, then that is more powerful than anything. I mean, so... Hooray, Tom. Thanks for saving the Republic or doing at least in your part. <laughs> well, listen. <laughs> now, I when mean, are you going to be the president of Twitter? <laughs> when am I going to be the president of Twitter? How do, Elon and I are in discussions. <laughs> I will be the deputy twit. How's that? There you go. He's the chief twit. I'm the deputy twit. We were told by our dads years ago that men don't twit. We don't <laughs> want to be twitters. But I guess now we do. Everyone does, right? Well. I mean, it's it's fascinating this this entire thing that's happening now with uh, since Musk purchased Twitter and and has been running it and and doing you know the Twitter files and all this that that suddenly um, the shoe is on the other foot and and you know liberals are like oh we can't have a billionaire controlling speech this way and. He's just sitting back there behind his desk, you know, whimsically making up rules and deciding who whose voices get heard right. and whose don't. It's like, uh, I mean, where have they been for years? Um, meanwhile, you know, conservatives are on the other side are are encouraging this and enjoying it and feel like it's it's really, uh, you know, that, that he is restoring free speech. I mean, it's not without I always thought, you know, it is a tricky um, trying to regulate speech in any way, whether it's the government or private entities, is really hard. I mean, it's just a really because you get in these situations where slippery slopes are everywhere, everywhere you look. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Twitter certainly found itself in that position pre Elon Musk. But I've always said, you know, for me personally, I'm 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 not a free speech absolutist. Uh, but I, but I am strongly in favor of free speech, and I'd rather err on the side of free speech as opposed to erring on the side of, of censorship or suppression. And so I think generally what what Musk is doing is is good and and is uh, you know is helpful, even if it's sending some of the some of the liberal folks into a bit of a tailspin. The uh, tweet tweet that you put out. I mean, part of the magic of Twitter is you can just put out an opinion or take and offer a different take on things. And you did this uh, a few days ago and I wrote a whole column about it, basically crediting you uh, with your tweet. Thank you very much. (laughs) With your tweet on those who hadn't seen it, Tom uh, tweeted out, uh, never forget or lest we forget the media sucking up to Michael Avenatti, <laughs> lest we forget. And I thought, you know, that's it. It's, it's just sometimes. You yeah, know, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I mean, we we booked him on all the time. I, I got his cell phone texting him a few times. So I'm, guil- Is I'm that guilty right? of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've Jeez. never had him on. What are you talking about? No, not on this podcast, but I had him on oh. WGN. Yeah, but right. I mean, a, a different, you know, I have to follow the trends of the day. So I, <laughs> I, I, I follow the cover of that because we have to be interesting. But. Uh, and, and as opposed and, to this one, yeah. Uh, wait, come on now. That's not yeah. what I mean. We have to be. We have to be interesting to more people, well, a, a much wider audience. So you can't. You can't dig yourself out of this one. No, I can't. Did, but... <laughs> what was it like to call it? To call it? It was weird. 
I mean, he was yeah, he, he was always sketchy. You know, there was, he, he talked in like half sentences, which was which was a red, big red flag. And but he would say crazy stuff. I mean, and, and that's what we wanted. We wanted headlines. We wanted people to be keep listening. And and he was hot at a time. Uh, there was certainly, obviously, that yeah hasn't been touched. You know, he's person non grata for a while now. Once the, everything started coming forward, is how terrible a person he is. Um, so I mean that that for what it is, and you know he was he would grab clicks. You know, people would just see his name on anything, and they those stories or posts on our website would do really well. I mean, that's the it's a corporate en- uh, enterprise, and we we had, that was our mission. Our mission wasn't necessarily to be the most eyeballs. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, that's part of the problem yeah. for everybody. But absolutely. <clears throat> um. Yeah, look, I mean, in fairness to me, my tweet was never forget how the media slobbered over this low life. <laughs> and the thing about and, and the thing about Avenatti yes, too is that you know, when he first burst on the scene, I had uh I was looking to find out who this guy was, and there were stories out there. I mean, this guy was sketchy to begin with. I mean, this yeah. is not a guy who came onto the scene without, you know, previous uh, baggage. He had taken a company called Tully's coffee and he had been being sued because he, he took the, the money that was supposed to be set aside, that company set aside to pay, you know, FICA benefits. He had embezzled that. And then he basically shut the company down. He just like closed the doors one day, the employees had nowhere to go. I mean, he was, he was not a good dude. And just, Mm -hmm. a, a you know, anybody who took the time to Google his name would have seen these stories. He was already involved in lawsuits, but the media didn't even do that. I mean, this is, you know, the media gets sucked in by these charlatans and these frauds. And you look at Sam Bankman Freed, you look at, um, you know, Elizabeth Holmes, but at least Mm. in their case, you know, Sam Bankman Freed, sort of this young guy, I mean, he he wasn't really involved in anything sketchy prior to this. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes, kind of the same thing. I mean, she created this persona that, that managed to swindle, um, you know, even people like uh, Henry Kissinger and all of these, you know, all of these very experienced uh, and, and, you know, um, prestigious people. That was not Michael Avenatti. I mean, he was a dirtbag from the, from the jump and the media just did not care about that because he was doing exactly what they wanted done, which was, you know, some just someone out there who was virulently, relentlessly attacking Donald Trump uh, and trying to bring him down. And and so they looked past everything. And, and um, you know, we ended up finding out or they ended up finding out uh, who this guy really was. And he was like I said, he was a dirtbag from from the from the get go. Uh, you know what? I, I know this is a family podcast, <laughs> so I, I, I have to. I have to guard the next sentence, but listen, you don't want to get that I, explicit rating on uh, uh, Apple uh, iTunes or something. No, no, we don't. <laughs> I, I saw uh, all the, uh, you know, the mashups or media mashups about all the media personalities sucking up uh, shamelessly to uh, Avenatti reminded me of uh, now. Okay. I'll use a, a Yellowstone theme. Okay. Uh, the a bunch of mayors in heat, heat on the prairie wickering when the stallion comes by. I mean, that's how embarrassing it was. And I, I think that that infection is made it clear that there's no 
repair for Amer- for American media, at least not for many many years. My opinion. Um, yeah, no, I look. I agree with that. I mean, I think um, there will be. This is not the the last time we're going to see something like this, where the media sort of uh, you know is enthralled by by somebody who who basically confirms their priors, right? Who who is right. who is telling <laughs> telling the narrative uh, or giving voice to the narrative that that they they want and they believe. Um, so. I mean, other than the fact that, as I said, this is a guy who, who, who came to this, um, you know, and he was, he was just not a good guy from the beginning. There was, there was ample evidence out there that this guy was, was just a complete charlatan and a fraud. I mean, he stole money from like a paraplegic. It's like the worst of the worst. And yet the media just kind of was like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, let's, let's continue well, to book him. Well, Jeff thank Carlin. you. <laughs> I think of the good side that uh Brian Stelzer, who's now teaching journalism apparently with an old friend of no, mine at Harvard. He's teaching a course on disinformation. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he can call Jeff no. uh, as a you know panelist on his in a in his classroom. Here we thought I was the one who was going to get the thumbscrews today, and it turns out it's Jeff. Well, <laughs> now that you bring it up, okay, there's a couple issues that of local import that we have to get to, and one of national. The uh, Tom, Tom Bevan, I'm told, knows something about Evanston, and I just want Do. what is the Evanston reaction to the reparations? My friend Steve, the pilot, knows that you're you're on, and he said you got to ask Bevan this. So, what about the what about the the uh, push by Daniel Biss, mayor of Evanston? You know, white leftist progressive wanting money from taxpayers to pay for the sins of the past. Well, I mean, there's a, I mean, that's more of a guaranteed income situation that BIS is proposing, right? That, right. Yeah. That's a, you know, they're going to give out, they're going to give out what, $500 a month or $1,000 a month or something for a, some period of time. That's like a different situation than, yeah. than reparations. And, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the Evanston reparations program was, I believe, the first of its kind, although you've it seen was. now, uh, you've seen other cities, and I'm trying to remember, I just saw on the news the other day, it was like, maybe it was Rhode Island, the mm-hmm. state of Rhode Island, some, something like that. And then you obviously right. you had this news, you know, Gavin Newsom's uh, commission that he formed to study repara- reparations came out with this, you know, uh, what was it? It was like. $550 billion yeah. uh, paying reparations to just, this is just for California. This is mm. not nationally. Um, and I think it's becoming a bigger and bigger thing. I think it's going to be part of the discussion of 2024 and it continues to be, even though um, it is, it is fraught with all sorts of, of issues. It's not a hugely popular thing nationally, uh, although it is popular among you know, Democrats and particularly uh, sort of, you know, progressives. But in terms of coming to some sort of workable, uh, some workable reparations program um, nationally, it's going to be 
very, very difficult to do. And, and I think it'll be unpopular, but it, it's not going to stop these localities, these ultra liberal localities like Evanston and others from doing their bit, uh, you know, to, to right the wrongs of the past as they see it. Um, even if the one in Evanston has been, you know, there have been criticisms of it in how they went about, you know, structuring it and who was getting money and, and all that. And even then it was sort of a, a tiny amount um, in the grand scheme of things. So, but it, there's no question that reparations is, is a, it is, is going to continue to be part of the discussion moving forward and maybe even a greater part of the discussion because that's what, you know, because of what we're seeing in some of these cities around the country. And, and to be clear, the Evanston program was one where it was designed where people were proving either through tax records or, or family history that they had had property and weren't given access to government programs. At the right. time. Housing discrimination. And you right. had to live in the city since like 1969 or exactly. something. And there were, yeah, it was, and, and, it was they, like and then they were given, yeah, the max I think was, was 50 if they applied. And there were some people who were like, I don't need this money, but it's still going to be like given to me. And like, I don't want it because they, they for, for many reasons thought that it was you know unfair. And it's, it's the was the first in the country, and you've seen it pop up in in Delaware. But it's the the, the amounts in tracking this stuff is like you said, it's going to be almost impossible to make it a feasible system at a large scale, and it's not going to be popular in most of the country. I mean, it's just not. But that I don't know that that's going to stop Democrats from pushing it yeah. at at you know the national level. But we'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about it. The, the Veritas Project Veritas issue where at Francis Parker, some dean is talking about how excited the dean is with passing around butt plugs and yeah. uh, John, other, no offense, John, but hearing you say that those words is not I don't hard enough for me to hard hard <laughs> enough for me to discuss mayor's uh wickering <laughs> stallion but now I now to talk about butt plugs. No, nah, there it is Francis again. Parker. Here's <laughs> the thing. I I I I I don't want to oppose anyone's expression of their sexuality, but right. I get that. Uh, in school, I think among children, and I'm a Christian right. underage so, children. Suffer right. the little children unto me, said Jesus. And this is December that we're getting into Christmas. If you if you did something like this, talked about this nonsense in Dearborn, Michigan, there would be six imams on the steps of Francis Parker pulling uh, the dean's hair as they pulled him out into the street. This in Chicago, I ask you both this question. Has the church, and by the church I mean Christian church, but also uh, rabbis, and uh, imams and other clerics, but particularly Roman Catholics, and in my case, Greek, the Greek Metropolitan, who's a friend of mine, I wonder uh, where are they in all this stuff? Is the church has the church lost moral authority, and how is that going to manifest itself over the next few years? Go ahead, Jeff. You first. <laughs> I'm sorry. Should no, I no, anything? No, no. I mean, okay. So the story is that, it, and correct me if I'm you know, clipping anything here. Uh, Project Veritas or Veritas, depending on your pronunciation, uh, undercover has a, a dean apparently from Francis 
Dean of students. Dean of students uh, on tape. And here's some of what they're saying. And this is just something I tweeted time you retweeted this. It's it's pretty appalling. So for any younger listeners, which, hey, for younger listeners. Earmuffs. Uh, earmuffs. For children, yeah. Our LGBTQ plus health center come in. They were passing around butt plugs and dildos to my students, talking about queer sex, using blue versus using spit. Meet Joe Bruno, dean of students at the prestigious Francis W. Parker Private School in Chicago, which happens to charge $40,000 per student. They're just like passing around dildos, butt plugs. The kids are just playing with them. They're like, how do you, how does this work? How do we do, like, how does this work? That's a really like cool part of my job. Parents might be stunned to learn that Bruno's version of love and acceptance means handing out sex toys to underage students. And it goes on from there. I don't know if I'm going to play the whole thing here, but that's that. It's a clearly ridiculously appalling. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, but every I mean, you can note that every time there was a there's a lot of up jump cuts to call it in the, in the business. So it's being taken either cut tightly out of context or whatever. We're not getting the full picture of what's being said. I mean, this guy, he's talking about this group coming in and doing this. He could have gone on and say, for all we know, and I was, it was a disaster and it will never happen again. And I, I was you know, embarrassed by it, but we don't get that exactly in, in context. Just saying it as an editor, someone who edits stuff for a living, you could easily make the, the case either way in it. Now they put out the full tape and that's, he, they probably will. It'll be this long 30 minute piece and we'll see it first in context. Um, but just for heads up, Veritas does do stuff like that and being caught editing tapes and, and people have rebuked what they've said in the past. So. That being said, it's insanely disturbing. <laughs> that being said, even even that clip, you know, out of context right. is appalling. Right. Um, look, I don't. Uh, I mean, I'm, this is like one of those shocked, not shocked things. Right. Exactly. Um, but and he did say in there that these were fourteen to eighteen year old kids. Mm-hmm. So these were not like, you know, little kids, tiny, tiny kids, but nevertheless, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I suppose uh, the school would defend that or the dean would defend that by saying, well, it's a sex ed class. You know, they're learning about sex and and he says in here, queer sex. It's like, well, okay, but, you know, we've, we've moved on from the days of um, when we were taught sex ed in class, which is like, you know. Here are the parts, and here's what they do, and here's that's a banana. Yeah, I mean, it's like condom on it, and then you're good. I'd be I mean, blushing. Even, I'd blush throughout the whole thing, thinking sure. of Pamela Tiffin and the kid, pink cashmere sweater. That, <laughs> I couldn't handle it. And this is the. I think <laughs> this is the the part of it that is, <clears throat> I think, uh, most disturbing to most people, which is the aggressiveness with which this stuff and these, you know, uh, alternative lifestyle choices, whatever you want, whatever euphemism you want to to use um, is being pushed in classrooms. Um, You see, I mean, if you go on libs of TikTok and you see uh, Mm -hmm. all of these educators that are, you know, decorating their classes with pride flags. And I mean, it's just like, it's, it's, it is a, on some level, an indoctrination. And it's kind of like, you know, for me, it's like, it's, it's not that I don't want my kids to learn about that stuff, but I want to be the one to tell. It's not the job. I just want, I want teachers to teach my kids how to read and write 
and do math and science and, and leave some of that other stuff, uh, you know, especially, especially when we're talking about, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, where they're, you know, rewriting Cinderella with different pronouns and all these things. It's like, that is not, uh, necessary or, or even appropriate, um, for, for kids of that age. And so it's just another example of, uh, you know, how you've seen this, um, this aggressiveness with which mm-hmm. this agenda has been pushed all the way down into the, the, you know, the, the youngest grades of, of elementary school. And, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a problem. I'm just and looking if- at my Twitter feed and people saying, we used to like you, John Cass, but now you're terrible. You're a terrible human being, despicable. You've fallen so low, scraping the bottom of the barrel. For what? For retweeting this. And I think that's what, what bothers me. That I, Not that people have different opinions from me, but that... Um, the, you're the, a bad person for having your opinion? No, the defense, the anger and the, the, the rapid response team of the hard left on this issue is not really good for the hard left or the, or the, the rest. I just think. Well, that's certainly, I mean, if you're on social media, I mean, that's what you're going to get because right. that's where all of, all of the folks are populated. Exactly. It's, it's what form are you using there? And I, and I agree with you. I mean, I tell especially with the idea of teaching this stuff or even, even broaching it at such a young age, it's just, it doesn't, doesn't, does not make sense to me. I don't have kids. So I, you know, I throw that caveat out there that, so I you know, we'll take it for what it's worth. My, my concern about it, especially somebody who's looking to become a teacher is it's the idea of, okay, I appreciate that you want to have represent representation for some minority group, which in this case is, you know, people L, under the LGBTQ plus umbrella, but that's, you know, even, even in, in reported numbers. And if you want to you know extrapolate this number out to say people aren't, who aren't responding to data because they're afraid or whatever, or they aren't part of mainstream media, they don't have housing, whatever it is, undercut the numbers. You could duplicate the numbers by a hundred percent and still be only like 16% of the population. So you take it as a, what it's worth. It's like 10% of the population maybe. And, but the, there's this like over representation necessary for some reason, because why? I mean, I get the idea people want to, you know, people come in all stripes and you want to make sure people feel like aren't slapped in the face by reality when they come across it as adults and, and like, oh, I didn't, didn't know this even existed. Sure. But the, we're talking about like the raw numbers. You're overrepresenting it is, is something that people are going to be like, well, you're going to come across it every day of your life. And so you should maybe even think about it. Like it just feels very forced. Yeah, but, these, right. but these things are not these things are not. um unconnected or disconnected. I mean, the number of people who are identifying as LGBTQ, you know, or sure, trans right. is, is, you know, thousands of percentage higher percentages mm-hmm. higher than it was 20 years ago because right. it is now it's being, you know, pushed and fed to, right. to these kids on TikTok and, and mm-hmm. other social media. And suddenly, you know, being a tomboy is no longer, you know, that means suddenly the, you're, you're a, right. a boy trapped in a girl's body and you need, right. you know, top surgery and stuff. I mean, it's just so the decisions are irrevocable. Mm-hmm. And well, for yeah, but children, I mean, it's know? a it's a it's a cultural phenomenon and it's, it's not the pet rock theory. And it's I mean. the, the it, it's the it's the 
agenda that's being pushed is helping to drive the numbers of people who are identifying that way up. I mean, there's yeah. a, yes. I think there's right. an absolute um, correlation there. So, um, and I think that's been part of the plan from the beginning. And, and um, again, my, my gripe is just the, the, the aggressiveness and how this is being pushed in schools all the way down to, yes. to kindergarten and first grade. It's like, yeah. I just want my kids to learn how to read. You know, right. I can, you know, when right. the time is right, I can, my wife and I will teach them about, you know, or the, we'll birds call, and the birds and the bees and you know, butt <laughs> plugs and all that stuff. <laughs> or we'll call, or we'll, or we'll call on Governor Pritzker, you know, to, to uh, a seminar for them. Well, yeah. I In mean, the meantime, we have another issue and I have to get to it before I, I can sense Jeff's concern that we've kept you so long and we have. <laughs> But, uh, okay, another issue that we, we got to need Tom Bevan's take on it, and it doesn't have anything to do with the Cocaine Bear movie. Yes. Uh, the question is, has Donald Trump irrevocably destroyed himself in the matter of uh, the Twitter files where he comes out in a tweet on Truth Social? And writes about how we got to get rid of the, the massive. He he complete says Twitter files vindicates his position with respect to the 2020 election, and wants to get rid of the Constitution. I don't get it. Where is the uh, gain for Trump in this thing? I I see it only as a a loss, and like so many other things that he's done, it's like basically encouraging people to walk away, to walk away from him. I totally agree with that. I mean, this was a, you know, obviously the dinner with, with Kanye and Nick Fuentes oh, was a one. disaster. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this one was a, this one was even more so, even more thinking. so in the sense that, you know, the Twitter files come out and it effectively, he could have tweeted and oh, I, I, I tweeted about this, <laughs> right. what he should have said, right. right. Which is, you know, here's more proof that I was right about 2020 and big tech colluded with the Democrats to, to, you know, suppress this, the Hunter Biden story and help, help rig it for Joe. Right. right. Instead, what he said was, you know, this massive fraud, we need to suspend all the rules and regulations, including those in the constitution and just and a fit. inexplicable, uh, you know, self-inflicted wound, which to your point, John, for those people who are out there and then, you know, I had some people on Twitter saying, oh, that's not what he said. You know, you yes, gotta, it's you, exactly take, what he said. A, it, it is exactly what he said. Mm-hmm. And all of these people who were trying to, like, cover for Trump and and say, oh, he, that's not what he said. That's not what he meant. Read it again. Take a reading class. You know, <laughs> did you fail reading comprehension in third grade? Like all those little jabs. Yeah. No, he actually he said what he said. And I think it was clear to everybody. Uh, but for those folks who 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 like Trump's policies, but don't want to deal with Trump. I mean, it's just another reason to look elsewhere. And, and he's had a couple of those um, in the last couple of weeks, in addition to, you know, what happened on November 8th. I think if, if there had been a red wave, if, if Republicans had won, you know, significantly more seats in the house and won a Senate seat or two, it would be a different conversation, but, Mm -hmm. but Trump has been weakened by that. And I think the alternatives to Trump uh, are emboldened. And, and I would not be surprised. I mean, you can see it happening all around you, all these folks that are, 
sort of dipping their toes in the water and taking another look at it. And we'll see what Ron DeSantis decides to do, because obviously he's the he's the the biggest threat to Trump waiting in the wings. Um, but, yeah, I think Trump is it's been a really bad few weeks for him. And the question is, you know, is it has he mortally wounded himself? And yes. Well, I mean, listen, I'm <laughs> having watched Donald Trump survive yeah. uh, like 72 mortal wounds over the last <laughs> six years. Like, I'm, I'm not Kelly. ready to just okay. call it just yet. Okay. I pronounced, I pronounced him dead after the Megyn <laughs> Kelly thing. And I was right. wrong. And I, I thought he was dead before uh, Rand Paul, which was my candidate. But he, <laughs> I, I like Trump's policies. I don't like the man. Is that? Am I really odd? You're not alone. I mean, there are plenty of folks out there that, that share that view. But I'm just saying, as a practical matter, I, you know, yeah. I'm I'm not willing to pronounce Donald Trump dead until he's officially <laughs> dead, um, politically speaking. Um, but that doesn't mean that he hasn't hurt himself significantly and and opened himself up to to legitimate challenges from people who will come out and and um and when i say legitimate challenges i'm not talking about like john bolton who's going to get it you know it's like or larry hogan who's i mean it's just um by 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 legitimate people who who could give him a potential run for his money right now that seems to be ron DeSantis is the only one who sort of fits in that category but Mm -hmm. but i think it's still it's an evolving situation and we'll see uh we'll see how it goes He's a tragic figure. If, if you, if, even if you like him or not like him, I, I adopt the VDH Victor Davis Hanson view of Trump as the tragic figure here. Yeah, He'll be alone, and he will be jabbering away and demanding people listen to him, and the the, the American people will have turned away from him. Yeah, but that's but here's, how I see it. But here's the problem, John. I mean, this is why it presents just a problem for Republicans. Do you think Donald Trump, who, you know, do you think he's going to go quietly? Do you think if he loses the nomination to Ron DeSantis, he's just going to turn around and endorse Ron DeSantis and be like, hey, Republicans need to get together and because we have to defeat them? No. And there's this, there is a I don't know what the number is. Is it five percent of the Republican base? Is it 20 percent of the Republican yeah. base? Hardcore Trump supporters who are going to be pissed that he lost. And when he tells them, you know. Screw the Republican Party. Screw these guys. You know, I'm, you know, don't go vote for them or whatever he's going to say. I mean, who knows what he's going to say? He could announce a third party run and be like, right. I'm going to go, you know, who it's knows? not going to it's not going to be good for Republicans. It is not going to be good if he doesn't win the nomination. It's and so gonna and it's terrible. not going to be good for Republicans if he does win the nomination. So <laughs> I think they're in a real catch 22. You know, you heard about you heard about weekend in, at Bernie's uh, yeah. the dead man. Uh, for a weekend, yeah, we'll have we'll have four years of uh, of Joe Biden, whether he's dead or not, <laughs> whether he's living or not, sentient being or not, we'll have him, you know, because of this. Well, oh I, my gosh, it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be a very interesting next, you know, two years as Republicans work their way through this and 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 see uh, how they can or if they can sort of you know, leave or extricate themselves from, from Donald Trump because he, he is the biggest, uh, you know, most dominant member of the party right now. And, and like I said, he's just not going to go quietly. I mean, I, maybe he will. I mean, you never know. You, 
But what, but what if he runs for governor of Florida just to still be in the, in the state? <laughs> and that satiates him, and that's like Florida, his own domain, his dominion. Because he, I mean, he could pass and get any law passed. I mean, there even if and, he gets, even if he gets indicted, you know, in the by the yeah, January sixth committee or whatever, sure. that's only going to make him stronger. I mean, it's only going right. to galvanize yeah. his supporters more closely to him and make it more difficult for some for the party to move on to another figure. So. It's just a really tricky situation for Republicans and Democrats have their own issues. I mean, it's not it's, uh, you know, putting Joe Biden up again, as you mentioned, is is not necessarily a slam dunk either. So (laughs) just the thought of it. I just want to build a wall around me and uh, maybe have a a nice little pond or a statue of St. Francis in there, even though I'm Greek Orthodox and have the wall keep us. Separate from the world, like the Benedictine option, right? Why don't you? Option. Why don't you retire and move to Greece? Go to the homeland, get away from what, it and hang time. with the commies. No way. <laughs> why? Why did my my parents come here? You know, to get away from those left wingers. And well, now, all my friends from Poland and Czechoslovakia and others who worked their ass off to get here are seeing that the United States is becoming. Rather socialist and it's uh at least it's aspiration. So Tom Bevin, I guess you're gonna see the cocaine bear, right? You're gonna take the kids. I, I saw a headline on that. I have no idea what that is. Uh, I mean, oh, it's so a good. perfect movie, man. I'm I'm probably okay, yeah. and this is this is you know, I'm I'm probably gonna have to sit down and watch Harry and Megan with my wife. The Netflix. Oh my God! Wait, stop! <laughs> stop the presses! <laughs> I made news. Wow, you are dedicated, sir. I appreciate Wait, that. That man. is okay. That that's wow. What can you extract? <laughs> you know, so uh, I'm not. A, a big, a, I'm not. My, my my wife is like she she loves the royal family and the whole thing, and, yeah, so and has I. always. Which would well, I'm not a big royal person, but I am fascinated by how how Meghan and Harry have managed to. Um, go from a situation where they were among the most adored, um, you know, loved, respected folks in, you know, with, with all of the accoutrements of, of right. royal life and turn themselves into the most hated, the least respected, the, you know, the money grubbing publicity seeking couple that hanging out with Oprah that seems to be willing to do anything to, you know, make a buck, even at the, even at the expense of their family and the institution and all these things. I mean, it's just, it's really remarkable. I mean, it really is fascinating to me. So I figure I got to see it for myself um, as opposed to just watching the, you know, reading stories about the clips and, and whatnot. So it's a fascinating social phenomena in my opinion. I, if you have to see Hag, uh, Megan and Harry, whatever the damn shows, <laughs> I guess, I guess I'll have to see it too. Um, because <laughs> we to can keep talk peace. about it on the next podcast. No. Yeah. To keep peace in this world because yes, she, 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 my Betty loves, uh, what I call Cinderella princess competition, yeah. which is the <laughs> ice skating in, uh, Olympic, uh, ice skating. <laughs> and so this is, of course, a natural yeah. response, but cocaine bear. Well, yes. that will save me. <laughs> All right. Last. This is the last subject. All right. It's, it's it's I get to play. I get to be the host. I'm asking the exit question here. Who do you have winning the World Cup, John? I know you're a big fan of soccer. You follow yes. this stuff closely. Who do you have? 
Um, France. France. Yeah. Okay. We'll find yeah. out Saturday. We will France find out. England. We yeah. will find out Saturday. So, uh, all right. I wouldn't mind that. I, I mean, Brazil's a favorite, right? Like heavy favorite or just favorite? Yeah, heavy Argentina. favorite. Heavy yeah, favorite. Too, right? I wouldn't mind England winning because they invented the English game. You know, <laughs> and I love it. Take stamina to play the four, four bleeping two. <laughs> well, since, given that I'm always, I always root for the underdog. I'm, I'm pulling from Morocco. Oh, that was nice. Now you got me going. <laughs> Heroic, epic. What can I say? All right. Well, we'll know soon enough. Indeed. Tom Bevan, thanks for being here. Thanks, Tom. All right, guys. Love Talk you. Talk to you soon. Thank All you, right, sir. Bye. Bye. Why did you want to make this documentary? No one sees what's happening behind the closed doors. I had to do everything I could to protect my family. When the stakes are this high, doesn't it make more sense to hear our story from us? For Tom Bevan, co-founder, president of Real Clear Politics, my friend, and the man who tried to get me to run for mayor of Chicago. So I guess he really isn't my friend. And Jeff Carlin, executive producer at WGN Radio, co-host here as always, master of pies, master of cats, and me, John Cass, husband, father, Greek Orthodox Christian, editor-in-chief of your favorite place for Midwestern common sense, johncassnews.com. Thanks for joining us on the Chicago Way. and Join us again, won't you, next time. Well, we'll be talking politics, common sense, and maybe that cocaine bear movie. See ya.